Podcast. A working class kid is inspired by Bruce Springsteen to escape his small town life. I think the one that hit me the most was Born to Run. If you grow up where I grew up, all you're thinking about is how the hell do I get out of here? And the boss's music helps him get through many hardships in his life. Every time I was in a place where I was down, it inexplicably seemed like he had just put out new music that spoke to it and I could get some hope back. Hey, welcome to Sonic Impact. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Dad. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm excited about today's episode. Well, you can't beat the boss, right? No, you cannot. It's going to be a really good story. I can't wait to get to it. But let's start with a current Sonic Impact. You know, we talk about how sometimes we differ in our taste, but in this case, we are in sync, and it's Harry Styles. Who alive doesn't like Harry Styles? It's pretty hard not to, and I'll tell you what, I was not a big One Direction guy, and I heard his first album, I thought it was fantastic, and then I kind of got roped into going to see his concert last fall. I was asked to chaperone my stepdaughter and her boyfriend to the Harry Styles concert, and I was blown away. He was incredible as a performer, as a singer, his band, the songs... It was like seeing the Beatles. The place was exploding. And of course, 15,000 screaming girls. It really did bring me back to those Beatlemania days. Yeah, the energy at his shows is just unreal. I think I mentioned in a previous episode, I saw him at Coachella and I always liked him and I was excited for that. But after that, I fell in love. Everyone's like, I've been in love with Harry for 10 years. I'm a little late to the game. But for the past couple months, I've been obsessed with him. He's honestly just perfect. Like between his face and his lyrics and his voice and his melodies, he doesn't do anything wrong. And I know how excited you are because for your 21st birthday coming up in August, you are going to see Harry Styles' general admission, right? Yeah, everybody, listen to this. It's the night before my 21st birthday. I'm going to see Harry Madison Square Garden opening night. He's playing like 15 shows at MSG, and I'm going on opening night. I'm going to turn 21 right after, and I'm going to hopefully be front row. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, I'm rooting for you to be front row and maybe hold up a sign for Harry to see for your birthday because I know sometimes he will look at people in the audience and interact. He's really great with the crowd. Oh, trust me. I've been brainstorming my sign since the tour was released. So quickly, let's just talk about your thoughts about the new album. I've liked the first two albums a lot, but what do you think of this new album? It's hard to say which one's the best because they're all so good, but there's something about this album that after the first time listening to it, I genuinely just felt changed. Like, well, it's Harry's house, so it's kind of like an insight into his mind is how he's described it. He's inviting the listeners into his house and the sorts of things he thinks about on a daily basis. So it's a really personal album. And I think that really comes through and how emotional it is to listen to. And it's just a really powerful listen. I highly recommend it to everyone. Well, that takes us to today's episode. And I'll just make the connection. There was a young, good-looking, rugged singer that took America by storm. And his name was Bruce Springsteen who we now refer to as the boss. I know you know Bruce's music, but I don't think you knew a lot about his story. Yeah, I read a lot about Bruce Springsteen and learned some really interesting stuff. The album Born to Run that is really central to our story today was released in the summer of 1975. And it actually was the very first album to make it onto the charts. He had released three albums before and they'd all failed to make it to the charts despite being in great standing amongst critics. But Born to Run definitely hit the rock world like a lightning bolt. 
Overall, the album took more than 14 months to record, and Born to Run took more than six months itself. Well, it's such an epic song, it doesn't surprise me that it took that long. Yeah, and apparently Springsteen was really frustrated and angry throughout the process of creating this album because he said that he could hear sounds in his head that he just couldn't explain to the other people in the studio. Another little fun fact is that Springsteen and Clarence Clemens worked on the Jungleland saxophone solo for 16 hours straight on the day that they had to go out on the road and launch their tour. I read that they cut it so close that Clemens said they were packing up the truck as he was playing the last notes of the solo. Well, that really gets to the heart of Bruce and the hardest working man in showbiz. And this story we're going to talk about today, Peter Shankowitz, is really an unusual one because it's not just one moment that hits Peter. It's a series of moments through his life that Bruce touches, changes, impacts. And you'll understand why it was this album, Born to Run, that led Peter down a lifelong journey with the boss. So Peter Shankwitz has a really interesting life and career. He's been a lawyer. He's been a TV producer. Few can match Peter Shankwitz's intense passion for all things Bruce Springsteen. So the year is 1975, and he discovers this new album called Born to Run. This is Bruce Springsteen's sonic impact on Peter Shankwitz. Peter Shankowitz, welcome to Sonic Impact. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Elliot. You are not only a TV producer, but you are a huge music aficionado like myself. Your Sonic Impact is Bruce Springsteen. Why don't you take me back to sort of the key moment for you when you discovered Bruce? So, I mean, I grew up with Motown and the Beatles. Right around like seventh grade, my friend Greg, we were like really tight, still are. He had a cool older brother. So he was always the guy introducing remember him talking about this guy that played at the shore and no one knew him. And then I'll never forget, had it been late August, 1975, and he puts Born to Run on his techniques uh, stereo. We did this immediate deep listen of both sides of it. And I remember looking around the room and everybody's jaw was on the floor like, who is this guy? How does he know me? He seems like he's talking to me from Jersey. He's singing about girls at the shore and the boardwalk and the streets and all this stuff. And I'm thinking like, man, that's how we live too. We had never heard anybody seemingly singing to us. We were just looking at each other going like, was he at the boardwalk when we were chasing that girl and then we struck out? Was he on the street when we almost got in a fight with that guy? Not only was this music incredible, not only was this guy this inexplicably talented poet, I think he was the first guy that felt like we found him. This was our guy. And not only did we sit there and just play the hell out of that record, but I just knew it said, this guy, he's going to be the shit forever. Peter, set up your childhood in terms of at the moment of you finding Springsteen. Where do you live and why hearing Springsteen spoke to you? I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which it's about an hour north of Philadelphia. It was a hard scrabble industrial town. So when I was a kid, Allentown was well past its industrial splendor. Billy Joel, when he wrote that song, you know, we did our listen to the words and we went, yeah, that's it. And I grew up in not the nice part of town and there were seven of us. So I'm this kid friend, you know, wrong side of the tracks. And all of a sudden here comes this skinny guy with greasy hair leaning on the back of his black buddy on an album cover singing like he knows me and he's been watching me for a while. So in a way, your life paralleled Springsteen's upbringing. 
Yeah, I would say that his life paralleled mine to a great degree. We share those experiences of being a young guy. This is what street life is. And, you know, he must have been since he was little saying, I'm bigger than this. I'm going to get out of here. So you listen to Thunder Road, man. I mean, if that's not the anthem for every time I like some rich girl and go to her house and I'm thinking like, oh, they don't like me. That's clearly why I connect with him. Those lyrics, every single one, it always felt like I had either been there or I was about to go there. So you're 13 years old. You discover Bruce Springsteen for the first time. What was the song on that album or what were the songs? It's one of those rare albums where every single cut was fantastic and meaningful to me. Obviously, I think the one that hit me the most was Born to Run. For me, growing up on the wrong side of the tracks, it sounded like he did too. And it really hit me. It was almost like a street opera in a song, an epic. I remember listening to it and visualizing it. And it really hit me that if you grow up where I grew up, all you're thinking about is how the hell do I get out of here? I'm listening to this guy put it better than it's ever been put inside my own head. I, I mean, he's going to get out of town. He's blowing out here to, to win. I'm going to go win. And it really did hit me like that he was singing about these hopes, bettering himself and chasing his dreams. And then there was always that reminder of like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're going to go work at the Bethlehem Steel and pour steel like your ancestors. So that song just clobbered me over the head. And it felt like, it was an invitation by him to me to, to get off my ass and I could do it too. It dovetailed with my dad too. My dad was a really cool guy. He'd always look at me and go, hey, you know what? Someone's got to get out of here. Someone's got to make it. Why not you? That's and cool. So your dad was actually, unlike probably Springsteen's dad, your dad was supportive of going for your dreams. Knowing what I know about him and being a super fan, I think we shared a difficulty in communicating with our dads because my dad was another generation and, but I didn't have what he had. My dad was like way present, not at the bar and literally no matter what I did. And, you know, my dad just said, go for it. You know, so those two men, you know, I mean, in a weird way, they told me it was okay to reach. Peter, you've discovered Bruce Springsteen at 13 years old. Now, let's go to the next moment that Bruce really had major impact on you. It's 1980. It's a key pivotal moment in musical history. Take us to there. I'll tell you, I think the next one that is a wow factor one, and I think you'll appreciate this. We both love the Beatles beyond like, you know, crazy about the Beatles. And I was always a John guy. It was December 8th. You might see where I'm going here. I go to the Spectrum in Philadelphia. I see a four-hour Springsteen show. He rocked my world. I go back to Penn where I'm in college, and someone says, John Lennon got shot and he's dead. And I get emotional about it. It's, it's so burnt in my memory. Um, and I had tickets for the next night, too. And I'm thinking, well, what's this going to be like? How am I going to have fun? What's the boss going to be like? You know, his hero, too. And I'll never forget the lights come down. Usually he would open with Born to Run or something at that point. He comes out silent, spotlight hits him on stage, starts talking about John, about how he feels. And he said something like, this is a tough night. I can see all you guys are having a tough night, but let's rock the fuck out of this. Kicks into Twisted Show. It lifted this pall off me like, you know, 
John's going to live forever in his music. And, and it was such a kick-ass moment. It really did pull me out of a, you know, a pretty crappy hole for a young guy losing his hero. What was that concert like after he sort of said, let's do this? The night after John's murder, I didn't know what to expect out of Springsteen. You know, from everything I'd ever read about him, he loved John like I did. And I remember people in tears and everybody was really down and it was a big deal. And he handled it in that personal way that connected with everybody in the audience because he took that moment to talk to us, let everybody know that he was in a pretty bad place losing John too, but then lifted everybody saying, let's do John right, let's rock. And the rest of the show was just killer. That's a real testament to his impact on me. The fact that this guy comes out on stage and just lays bare his heart, makes everybody feel a little bit better, and it rocks. You know, you talked about when you were 13, how he spoke to you and helped you get through your small town life of wanting to get out. And then he helps you through this moment where you're mourning the loss of one of your musical heroes. So again, Springsteen is sort of not only the soundtrack of your life, but also sort of your mentor, your preacher, this guy, your therapist helping you get through it. Tell me how that worked. From the time I first heard him to the time I, I leaned on him at that show after John died, what's amazing, Elliot, is that at every important part of my life, you know, I've been through some stuff and every time I was in a place where I was down or I didn't know where to turn or how do I survive? It inexplicably seemed like he had just put out new music that spoke to it and I could dive in, listen to it, feel better and get some hope back. What I love about your story is it's not one moment. It's all the moments of your life that add up to this soundtrack, but also this therapist, this friend, you know, he's sort of all of this that he's done to so many people. I think that that's really the key here. When my second oldest, Casey, was born, she was born with major, major problems and couldn't really operate her mouth and swallow and all this stuff. And you can imagine, like, what am I going to do? Is my kid going to make it? When we finally took her to the doctor when she was about five and they said she's going to be great, there's no reason to worry anymore, there is no better feeling in the world. And the day that we came back from the doctor, the boss shows up again. We're sitting in my little studio at home and Casey starts listening to Springsteen with me. So she learned the E-chord and we had people over the next weekend. We do a duet of Born to Run. And between the doctor saying she's going to be okay and look who shows up to let me know for sure she's going to be okay. My friends were howling and loved it. And I was choked up. You know, to this day, that kid, if you say to her, what's the greatest rock and roll lyric of all time? She'll say, wasted summers playing in vain for a savior to rise from these streets. When you have that connection with your daughter and music and passing it along, I passed a lot of music along to my kids. You pass Bruce Springsteen along to your daughter, which is the ultimate sort of generational torch. It was this weird kismet. She gets her clean bill of health. And then we, we jam on Springsteen together. And fast forward, about 12 years later, she ends up meeting Bruce and getting a picture with him. I had four of them on my walls. <laughs> Peter, is there one pinnacle moment where your worlds collide or something happens where Springsteen really changes your life? 
I did actually have a, a live encounter. So I started dabbling in music law, getting some real clients and working with, you know, Pete Townsend. And I was working on a demo, you know, we're doing vocals and stuff. And all of a sudden the door opens. I hear this guy say, Hey, how you guys doing? I'll never forget hearing that Springsteen scratchy voice behind my head. It was amazing. And I turned around and I'm pretty sure I actually said, holy shit. You know, forget about being cool. I was so not cool. But it doesn't matter because it is the greatest moment of your life. You can't even put into words what that person has done to you and what he's given you. And you don't even know how to respond and make a, a sentence that is articulate. I had practiced meeting him for 30 years. And I was going to ask really cool questions. And sure enough, he walks in. I have nothing other than, hey, we're great. And he's pleasant. And I'm just staring at him like a geek. I whip out like a business card and I have him sign it. And then he just said, yeah, I got to go, man. But it sounded cool. And, and he left. That was the greatest moment of my life. And oh, my God, what a tool I was. That's so weird that, what are the odds of you recording? The day you're there, your idol is at the studio and he actually pops in like he's all like he knows, hey, Peter's going to want to know that I'm here. But I, I talked to the guy, the one of the engineers, and he said, yeah, he's cool that way. He usually pops in and says hi to people. I just think he's a cool guy that says, watch this, this kid will shit when I pop in. Let's jump forward to the next sort of big Springsteen moment for you. When I saw the Broadway Springsteen show, I felt like I was just in his living room and he's telling me stories. That show was a big moment too, because it led me to believe that this love affair I've had with him all these decades, that it wasn't a one-way street, man. If you remember from the show, he talks about his love of the music, his love of sharing, his love of writing, and he calls it his magic trick. He hopes that we got out of it what we needed. And I think his very last line in that show is, I got everything from you guys. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, wow, it's not phony. I'm not making it up. He was writing and creating art because he has a relationship with his listeners. And he may have gotten as much out of it that we did. Hard to put into words how powerful that was. And I'm not a Springsteen fan like you are. I'm a fan and I love his music. But in that form, by himself with his wife, was so powerful. I'm going to admit this on your show. I took Casey, the Bruce fan, and within like a minute of growing up, which is the opening song, she looked over and she said, Dad, you're crying. <laughs> and I was. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but... I don't even know what it was, but I was just so happy. How many times have you seen Bruce over the years? And explain to people who don't really know what a Bruce show is, especially for someone like you who it's almost religious. For anybody that's never been to a Bruce Springsteen show, I say get there as soon as he tours again, which hopefully will be in the fall or next year. I will say this. I've seen him probably 40 times, which is nothing compared to people we know. The show, as you know, you're in the presence of a guy who's at the top of his craft, knows it, loves it, loves that you're there, and he's really giving a crap that he's entertaining and he's putting it all out. Imagine a guy from the time of like 22 to now he's like 71 or something, 
still doing a four hour show, a four hour show. You go see any other band, they're doing 90 minutes and it is a party. It's 18,000 like-minded people. It's strangers high-fiving each other. It's someone seeing you well up on a song that touches you and the gal in front of you says, oh, you too? It's that kind of environment where everybody is such a shared experience because he intentionally and organically creates that. Peter, you had a moment when you had a chance to meet Bruce and you couldn't speak and you couldn't say anything to him. You have the opportunity now. If he was listening, what would you say to him? I'd say to him, look, man, I said, I know you probably heard this a thousand, ten thousand, 10,000, a million times, but you were there for me from the time I first heard you. You helped me get out of Dodge. You helped me with my kid when she was sick. You helped me when I was down in, in the dumps, career, marriages. And you helped me celebrate finding this gal when I found my Patty. And I got to say thank you, man. I would really want to just say thank you. Peter, your passion for Bruce is unparalleled. It is as pure as anyone's that I've ever met. I appreciate you sharing these vulnerable, tough moments, hard parts of your life, but that's what this is about. It's about how this guy, Bruce Springsteen, and his music got you through that. So thank you for, for coming and sharing all of this. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I think that what you're doing is so cool. I can't wait to listen to the other stories, and I'm really flattered that you thought of me and that you took the time to I think this is one of our more unusual stories. It's not one big moment that Peter has. It's not something that Bruce led him down a path to become something. It was everything along the way in his life. It was every moment that Bruce affected him. It was the highs, the lows, the sickness and in health, the marriages, the divorces. And when you have someone like Bruce who tells the story of your life through his music, from those early days of listening to Bruce telling him to get out of town to those later years when he was struggling with his marriage, I think Bruce Springsteen has been the soundtrack of his life. Yeah, completely. And I think that this is such a great story because even though most of our other stories focus around a specific moment or couple of moments, you know that for all of these people, the impact of the artist they talk about wasn't just that moment. When you fall in love with an artist, they really are with you throughout everything. And I think that's the heart of our podcast. It's not just the impact an artist has on you one day. It's the impact that sticks with you through your life. I think the beauty of this podcast, if people have listened to a number of them, they're all different, right? Some are about discovering at a young age and then following a career path. Some are about a meeting with the artist. Well, Peter met Bruce, but it was a very short meeting and it was just more of a novelty than anything. But I think there's something about Bruce Springsteen, more than almost any artist, that his fans connect so deeply. He writes about things that the audience relates to, growing up on the wrong side of the tracks, about working class America. And he's written about so many different themes in his career. But I think that Peter's pure love of Bruce comes through in this interview. Definitely. It makes sense that we're connected to artists who sing about things that we're related to. When you can find an artist that you feel like you can have that connection to the majority of their songs, there's just nothing like it. You know, if you go back to the interview, he talks about when his daughter was sick and the connection he had with his daughter and Bruce. When he talks about going to see him on Broadway, the totality of Bruce's career, and he literally cries. And his daughter says, are you crying? 
And again, because it's so emotional for a family, Kim, when he goes to see Bruce on the night after John Lennon's been shot and Bruce gets him through that, there are so many times in life that artists and their music get us through these terrible moments. And I think the big thing for me is Bruce live. You must see Bruce live once in your life. He doesn't stop. He's so passionate. He's so into it. And the crowd is just giving him so much love. So I think that there are certain bands that are amazing on record, but seeing them live, it's a whole different thing. And I think that clearly came across for Peter. Yeah, I've kind of grown up with you being a huge fan, but I don't know that much of his music. But I think I do need to see him live in this lifetime. Oh, you must. There are certain artists you have to see live. Bruce is one of them. For me, I love certain songs of Bruce's catalog that just hit me. And I'm not even close to the fan that someone like Peter is. But I absolutely agree with him. If you get a chance to go see Springsteen, I highly recommend it. So I want to thank our guest, Peter Shankowitz. He poured his heart out. He didn't even get to the whole story of his divorce and finding his new true love, which we didn't have time for. But the album Tunnel of Love really helped him through that. If you're ever going through a divorce, check out Tunnel of Love because, man, it does speak to you. So as we do every episode, we like to hear our guests' top five songs from that artist. So here they are. Not too many surprises, I think, here. And I'm going to read what Peter wrote because I think it's interesting. Number one, Born to Run, all-encompassing, told me I could get out. It's about destiny and the fear that comes with chasing it, arguably his greatest achievement. Number two, Thunder Road, how the fuck did he craft two perfect songs on one album? Youth, dreams, and the best single line I've ever heard that has always told me he was living my life, wasted summers, praying in vain for a savior to rise from these streets. Wow, I love the insight. Well, Peter is such a poetic thinker and writer, and that's why I'm reading these, because it doesn't do it justice, just say the list. Number three, one of my favorite Bruce songs you need to listen to, Rosalita. He was a young guy making it out, but to me, this is my cheer-up song, Instant Party. Four, Jungle Land. He invented the street epic, but this is the pinnacle, so vivid, a play crammed into a song, and those horns to me sum up his friendship with the big man. And number five, a tie between brilliant disguise and tougher than the rest and no surrender. Oh, he took three because the triad sums up love found, lost and resurrected. And that promise of love that we chase until our last breath. God picking five was hard. What I just read to you so perfectly encapsulates Peter Shankowitz, his depth for music, for lyrics, his love for life. And I just want to thank him so much for coming on. It was an emotional conversation. It wasn't a typical conversation. And Olivia, I hope you learned a lot about Bruce Springsteen and about what a great guy Peter is. Yeah, this was an extremely moving and inspiring story and really relatable for me. Even at just 20, I know the way that our sonic impacts are with us through the highest and lowest moments. So thank you, Peter. See, Peter, you got through to a 20-year-old girl who doesn't even know Springsteen that well. So kudos <laughs> to you. I hope she and others go on the journey that we've all gone on for the last 45 years. Well, that's a wrap for Sonic Impact. Olivia, I just wanted to say to you, I have had such a pleasure hosting this first season with you. Your insights, your additions, just your conversation. I just love having you be my partner in crime. So thank you for all your efforts and for how good you are as a host. Oh, thanks, Dad. That's so kind of you to say. It's been an absolute joy. Well, on that note, we're going to say goodbye. We have one more episode next week as our finale, and that is The Monkees with David Fishoff. It's a fun story of the reunion tour 
that David Fishoff put together and conceived for the monkeys. So we'll see you next time on Sonic Impact. See you later. Sonic Impact is a production of Sonic Impact Media. The podcast is produced, edited, and hosted by Elliot and Olivia Goldberg. The show is mixed and mastered by Justin Longerbeam. Music provided by Fundamental Music. Artwork designed by Keanu Narsico and Dan Hodgen. DC, I host the rock podcast Back to the Arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one on one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.